see each of you here this morning. We'd like to turn our attention to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. This text is not the usual text that you would use for this subject, but in one sense it is, as we'll see a little bit later. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. We're going to be speaking on biblical boasting. You might think, is there such a thing as biblical boasting? Well, yes, there is. Uh, I don't know if you all ever uh, read Shakespeare and Hamlet. I think there was a, a, a soliloquy there that to be or not to be. And, uh, and I guess you could use that and change it around a little bit and say to boast or not to boast. And uh, so let's look at Jeremiah 9, verse 23. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but he, let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Father, we, when we look at ourselves the way you look at us, we are nothing but dust. And the world totally abhors and detests and hates that very thought. But we know that we are dust and we're going to return there. It is a fact. So, Father, open the eyes of our understanding. Even sometimes we as your people forget this. Anytime we are puffed up with pride and those who are lost definitely are still in their sins. And so, therefore, they are prideful and sometimes they don't understand that. But as we hope we will bring out and with your grace and help, uh, we are in that condition, especially before we are saved from our sins. We ask, Father, for your grace to come down from heaven to minister to us and to those who are lost, that you would be exalted and that we would boast and glory in you, who is our creator and our redeemer. We pray now that we may see you high and lifted up, the Lord of glory. We ask now that you'd hear us as we confess our sins and ask for forgiveness as we repent that we might receive your blessing so that you might be further glorified. We ask these things in the name above every name 
the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen. To glory in something means to boast in something or someone. That's what it means as we look at the King's English, if you want to call it that. Um, it's what it, that, that when we glory in we revel in it. And uh, you see all kinds of boasting in this world. But, and I was guilty myself in being involved with football and baseball and wrestling and all kinds of different sports. The sports world is full of boasters, full of boasting. Uh, most of them boasting of themselves. Uh, some of them boasting of their teammates, thankfully. And a very, very few boast themselves, boast in God. And some of them boast in God, but their lives uh, show so much, uh, very much differently in the way they live. So we, we, we that, that's a problem. But anyway, for the undiscerning and the biblically ignorant. They may be swept off their feet by these boasters who say they're the greatest. Maybe even marry them only to find out that these boasters are so full of themselves that they ain't got no room for nobody else. No room for no one else. They think they deserve all the attention. They, they think they deserve all to, to be served. They think they should uh, be able to uh, spend their money any way they want to and, 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 and maybe have uh, an affair with somebody else, even though they're married, because they're full of themselves. And they don't prove to be as great as they say they are. But that's the world. I mean, and we see it all over. And when we look at the rich and famous, right? They've been married who knows how many times. And they, uh, a lot of it's because they think they deserve better because they're so great, you know. And But that's not just a problem with the rich and famous. As ordinary folks, that can be a problem too. And so we have to realize that because the Bible says we need to. Not because I say so, because my opinion doesn't mean anything at all. But the children of Judah were full of pride. And we are a nation that's full of pride, aren't we? So full of pride. We, we, will, we will not bat an eye and throw our chest out and, and shake our fist at God. It's no wonder. Things are going the way they're going. God's not going to put up with But the children of Judah were full of pride in Jeremiah's day. They wouldn't listen to him. In fact, they put him in a dungeon. And what they were doing, in essence, putting God in the dungeon. Really. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear about humbling themselves. They were... 
pride. They're glorying in themselves, pat each other on the back. And if it could get somebody to pat them on the back, they pat themselves on the back. Basically, that was, that's, our, that's our condition. They were headed for destruction. And they did. That's where they, they, they went into captivity. They were no longer the nation they were and never have been really since then. Jeremiah 9.25 says this, Behold, the day is come, saith the Lord. And then following verses there. That I will punish all them which are circumcised with the uncircumcised. He's saying, you Jews who are a blessed people. I bless you. Not because you're so good. Because, but because I was gracious. You Jews, as well as the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, us Gentiles, we're both, we're all guilty. Egypt and Judah and Edom and the children of Ammon and Moab and all that are in the utmost corners, that is of the earth, that dwell in the wilderness for all these nations are uncircumcised. And all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. In other words, they might have gone through outward motions and ceremonies and rituals that God's word even says, but their heart was far from God. They were still fleshly. They were still prideful. You know, you can do all the things outwardly in the Bible, and we can still have pride in our hearts. That's scary when you think about it. In fact, we find there in, in, in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and in haughty spirit before fall. That's what the book of Proverbs says, the book of wisdom. So God being gracious tells us, look, don't go down this path. Don't. Because it's only going to be your destruction. So God's graciousness. He's not trying to spoil our fun. He's, he's trying to show us that this is, this, this is going to mess you up. It, it says again in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly. The humble is wisdom. Again in Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Pride's got to be cut out. And that has to be, that's true for the unsaved as well as the saved. It's got to be cut out. A lot of times we like to point the finger. And yes, the world is guilty of lots of things. But we shouldn't just look at the world. We need to have God to search us to see if any be any wicked way in us. As painful as it is, well, you know what they say, no pain, no gain. And it is a great gain that God will give us. 
if we take heed to his word and for our good. Now, our text is actually quoted, and I'm just going to mention one part of it, and we'll deal with the rest of it later, but it says in 1 Corinthians 1.31, Paul quotes this out of Jeremiah 9, and he says there that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. He that boasts, in other words, let him boast in the Lord. Let him brag about God. That's what we can do. We can do that as boldly and loudly as we want. Let's see. Now, we might, as believers, or even some unbelievers, are aware that some people don't like somebody who's so full of themselves or conceited. And so they'll, they'll tone it down a little bit. Oh, they're just thinking in their hearts. But with boasting about God, no, it is, it is, you can be as public about it. In fact, we should be public about it. You know, God seems so strange to us at times, doesn't he? Why is that? Well, he does things in strange and unusual ways to us, you see different than us. I mean, you'd think, right? Because he's the creator. He's above us, far above us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not even our thoughts. So uh, you can understand why he would seem strange and different and hard to understand because he does those things that, that we don't expect would happen. He does the unexpected. We see that in Moses. We've just been studying about it. We're going to study about it more uh, this afternoon, Lord willing. I mean, here we have Moses. Wow, what an opportunity. We dealt with this a little bit last week, but he is in Pharaoh's court. Oh, yeah, now God's going to use him because he's in Pharaoh's court. And he is uh, 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 among the, the rich and the famous. And so, yeah, what a blessing. But did God use Moses while he was in Pharaoh's court? No, he did the totally unexpected thing. He used Moses after he'd been living with his father-in-law for 40 years in the desert. Brought him back when he was 80 years old. to speak to Pharaoh, and God used him then in his lowliness, in his weakness, when he wasn't part of Pharaoh's court. God does things different. We see it there in Gideon's case. Remember Gideon? Where, you know, here, Gideon wasn't a person that was of noble nobility or anything. He wasn't some great highfalutin uh, related to some of the judges there in his life, as is recorded in the book of Judges. Here they have a whole host of Midianites and Amalekites and all kinds of other nations gathered together against Israel. And here he is. 
He's a, the leader of Israel. God had appointed him in that position. And he didn't feel worthy. That was an, another good thing about him. But that's, a, that's the way God does things. And so they got this army. Uh, this army is, 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 is a 185,000, they say, estimated to be of these, of this, of these, uh, the enemies of Israel. And here they started out with 32,000 Israelites against that big old multitude. Wow. Well, that doesn't look too good. Well, then we see that God uh, dwindled that number down to 10,000. And then he dwindled it down some more. And he said, those that, that you know, bow down and, and drink like a dog, uh, those there in, at the brook, this was a test. Those can't go. It's only those who, who, who brought the, the hand to the mouth and, and drank. Guess how many were, were, were uh, that was? 300. 300? Why, Lord, do you do it like that? Well, it says in, in Judges 7, 2, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are, are, are with thee are too many. Too many? For me to give the Midianites into their hands. Why? Lest Israel vaunt themselves. They, they lift themselves up against me saying, Mine own hand has saved me. Because we had so many. God does things differently. Abraham. Here he was. The promise was given to him that he would have many descendants as the sand of the sea and as the stars of heaven. But Sarah was barren. Well, I'll just, uh, through the, my, my servant, Eliezer. No, not going to be that way. Or through uh, the, the, somehow or another, the, uh, the, the promise would go through him. It, it, it didn't happen. No, I'm not going to go that way. I'm going through you, Abraham. Well, Hagar. No, it, it's not supposed to happen that way either. It's going to be through Sarah, who's barren. And then, they're too old physically to have children. But that's the way God did it. That's the way God did it. Jesus, the most improbable birth there could ever be, it wasn't because Mary was barren, because she's a virgin. And yet, God brought Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God became a man in the weakness of human flesh, if you will. Well, okay. Would he then now lead an insurrection, sit upon the throne of David and destroy the Romans? No. He would be crucified. 
The ultimate humiliation. And through that, he would gain the victory. What do we see here? God is doing something time after time, over and over again. He's making something out of nothing in one sense. He is constantly using human weakness to exalt his glory and power. That's what God does. Is it a surprise to you that God would operate that way today? Why would God change his SOP, as they call it in the military, standard operating procedure? Or his MO, his modus operandi. Why would he do that? Now, some people would say, well, God, wouldn't it be great? What a great advantage to the kingdom of God if he would save President Biden. That's what we need. Well, that's not usually the way God works. Now, I'm not saying he wouldn't, but it's not usually the way he works. We don't need people in high places in this world. God doesn't need it. doesn't need us. We, we, we should never think that God needs us or our wisdom or our ingenuity to, to deliver uh us in the state of affairs that we find ourselves in our country. So, do you believe that God needs you? Do you believe that God would purpose to humiliate human wisdom and pride to show his power and grace? I think most of us would know the answers to these questions. But the real question is this. Do we live? Do we believe? Do we worship? Do we serve like we know the answers to these questions? Is it reflected in our life? In other words, it's easy to talk about. So that's what we want to look at. First of all, I want to look at biblically bad boasting. Now, we could call it biblical boasting because it's in the Bible. <laughs> but what I mean by, that's why I say biblically bad, is because the Bible does not support this kind of boasting that I'm going to mention. Not for approved or uh, prescribed by God and by the Bible. The world, as I mentioned before, is not short on boasters, braggarts, grandstanding politicians wanting to tell you just how great and wonderful that they are so that they can uh, 
swell up with pride and get their whatever they want to get out of you. They use people because they think they're worth it. They think they are worth, they can use anybody they want to because they're so great. Sadly, that's just the way it is. But the premise for this kind of boasting is really ridiculous. In 1 Corinthians 4, notice, in verse 1, let a man so account of us as the ministers or servants, that's all we are, servants, of Christ, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me is a very small thing to, that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and shall make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. Don't get all puffed up. Don't get prideful. Notice he says, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why didst thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Whatever we are, whoever we are, God made us that way. And if there's anything good, we better give God the glory and not throw out our chest like we're somebody. We're nothing but a piece of dust like everybody else. Now that's something we don't like to hear. Our flesh don't like it. My flesh doesn't like it, but it's the truth. And it will keep us from destruction if we embrace it, you see. Gladly embrace it. Not, okay, it says it in the Bible, I guess I'll embrace it. No. It's a good thing. And we'll see here in a little bit why it is. But biblically bad boasting, again, like I said before, can be sneaky. We can boast ourselves in our humility. Somebody who's proud to be humble. Now, that just doesn't make sense, but that's, that, that happens. And when we look at that, I think I thought of Jeremiah 17, 9. That the heart is deceitful above all, desperately wicked. Who can know it? I mean, we just don't know it. What we're capable of. And, and they, that uh, shouldn't make us you know, scared to go anywhere or do anything. It just should humble us and cause us to look to God. Lord, help me. I can't, I can't just hide some cave. That's not going to glorify you, but help me to glorify you in humility because I'm prone to be prideful. 
Now let's get real here, okay? I'm talking about me and everybody that's ever existed or ever will exist. We are a prideful, flattering ourselves and our hearts, bunch of sinners. That's what we are. That thinks God owes it to us to do us good. That's what in our is is that's our depraved nature. Okay. Oh, oh well, yeah, that's true of so and so, but it's not true of me. No. Now this isn't just to put us down. It's to is to exalt God. Exalts those who are humble, and puts down those who are prideful. And those who are prideful don't want to hear this. They hate it. Don't tell me about that, preacher. Well, I'm not. It's what God's word says. Now, you might say, well, I never think of myself as somebody exceptional or impressive or better than anybody else or prideful or anything like that. Well, think about this. Have you ever been mad or angry at God or frustrated? Why is it that we do that? Because we think we deserve better. That's why. It's pride. Get frustrated because things aren't going the way we want it to go. Well, God said it's not going to be that way. Because he, he didn't obviously work it out that way. It's pride. I tell you, the more you, more you study the word of God, the more it ought to humble us. The more we know about ourselves from God's word, it ought to humble us more and more. That is a sign of a mature saint. So, yes, it's, this, it, it, it hurts. But it's like the surgeon's knife. And when you got a good physician like the great physician, it's going to do us good. But so secondly, what is biblically beneficial boasting? We first of all have to come to this point where in Galatians 6.14 it says this. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. We have to glory in the cross. How do you glory in the cross? How do you rejoice in the cross? How do you embrace the cross? How do you, how do you, you know, how do you do that? That means I, I appreciate what Christ did for me, a lowly sinner. You got to see yourself as a sinner. You got to get there. You're not even in the position to glory in the Lord unless you first glory in the cross and you're humbled by that. Now, I, again, I'm not saying that we have to be humble in a sense like we let everybody, let everyone walk all over us. No, that's not, that's not in the Bible either. Okay. Yes, sometimes we have to turn the other cheek, things like that on an individual basis when someone would do. I understand that. God never says to, uh, you know, 
not stand up for what is right. In Ephesians 3.21, the next thing that happens is that it says, unto him be glory, that is, um, to God be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, amen. God received glory in and through his churches. You know what God's churches are called sometimes in the Bible? Little flock. There's nothing impressive, never has been, in the eyes of the world about his God's churches. No, nothing. So if you're trying to move up the social ladder or anything like that, gain some kind of business opportunity by joining one of the Lord's churches, forget it. <laughs> That's the wrong reason anyway. But we're willing to identify ourselves with God's little flocks. Because we're not about pride. By the grace of God, we're not about pride. We could care less about social standing. I mean, it doesn't mean we want to be purposely obnoxious. No, but that shouldn't motivate us. So, but like every church, we can fall into pride. And like the church of Corinth, they don't exist today, as far as I know. They had some problems. Doesn't mean they lost their salvation, those who are truly saved, but they cease to be a church. This church at Corinth, Corinth was a big city, full of worldly wisdom and privilege and prestige. Okay? Kind of like Rome. And it was about competing. They were competing one with another and putting one preacher up above another preacher. Remember, oh, I'm of, uh, uh, I'm of Paul. In other words, they're saying, oh, I'm a follower of Paul. And then the other one was like, what? You're pathetic. I'm a follower of Peter. You know, and all this stuff. What was it? It was pride. That was, was, was one of the problems that, that brought this up. In 1 Corinthians that they were having. And uh, so they had a problem. Their glorying, Paul said, is not good. The gospel standard, which the church is that candlestick that holds up the light of the world, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. The gospel standard totally, absolutely contradicts the wisdom of this world. Now, some of them might say, oh, we're of Apollos. I mean, Apollos is eloquent. And the, and the Greeks and, the, and, the, and the, you know, the world thinks highly of eloquent. 
So, uh, yeah, look at us. We're of Apollos. Paul says it's a bunch of nonsense. Think about this. Think about this. Even the cross of Christ is absolutely unimpressive in the eyes of the world. God's people in general are unimpressive in the eyes of the world. Now, this is what Paul says. He makes three arguments in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, first of all, in verse 26, I, for ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Notice he says calling and called here. He says, consider your calling. Okay. Really, and this is talking about the effectual call that some, you know, you have a general call where people, you, you preach the gospel the effectual cause when someone comes to Christ, that God gives grace to where they come to Christ. Okay. And they were effectually called. They were saved. When I give the general call, only those who are effectually called are going to receive it and respond positively to it. It's effectual unto salvation in other words. So he's talking about this, but And that's humbling in and of itself because we won't respond properly of ourselves. We can't make it effectual. The person hearing and the person preaching can't make it effectual. That's the work of God. That's humbling there. That would cause us to, okay, I can't glory in myself as a preacher. I can't glory in myself as a hearer. God's the one that does the effectual calling. But it has more to do with who they were before God called them. And that's what we got to look at ourselves too. And people need to look at themselves. Paul, Paul said, there's not many wise men after the flesh. Not many who have this fleshly wisdom, the philosophers that are mentioned in verse 20. You're not, your intellect is unimpressive. Now, we don't like to hear that. That's not, they were not wise men according to flesh before they're saved and they're not now. We're not, we weren't before we were saved and we're not now. Not many. I don't know if anybody a philosopher, you got a degree in philosophy here. You know, I mean, we don't, we're not, we're not that. We're, it says not many mighty not many powerful, socially powerful, prominent people, influential people. 
We're not the movers and shakers of this world. Yeah, we're, we're not the E.F. Huttons. When E.F. Hutton speaks, they listen, if you remember that old commercial. But anyway, um, we're not that. Any of you uh, get on social media and say something and you'll have like thousands of responses? We're not that influential. Not many mighty, whether we're talking about physically or whether our influence in the world. And it says not many noble. Not many noble. In other words, we're not of nobility or royalty. Any of you of noble birth? Are you from some prominent family of the rich and famous? Are you the son or daughter of a senator or a king or a president? Paul's saying there's, there's not many. There may be a few, but by and large, that just does not define us. This word noble is the word eugenis which is where we get the word eugenics. And it means one well-born, born into the right family in the world's terms. This is humbling, but God, or what God is saying through Paul here is, you're a bunch of losers as far as the world is concerned. That's the way they look at us. So don't think, don't expect anything otherwise. And if for some reason we have some otherwise thing happen, it's only uh, by God's grace. We're far from the world standard. We're not smart. We're not strong. We're not from the right families. All the things the Corinthians, the church at Corinth esteemed, uh, they were not. And weren't at that time of this writing. And we can put our names there too. Pretty much. That's humbling. That puts us in a position. As what we're, where we're going to here. But. And I know some people say. Well I'm poor but I'm proud. And you can be that way too. That's still wrong. But it goes on to say, we're, you know, we're, we're called uh, and continues to talk about, uh, about the calling and so on. And, and, uh, but it says now in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians, in dealing with this New Testament passage, it's dealing with that Old Testament passage, our text. It says, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and have chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things at all. We're not only to consider our calling 
We're to consider our election. That's what we mean by being chosen. Notice how many times chosen is used in those three times in that, just in that passage. God chose it to be that way. Not me. Oh, I'm going to heaven because I chose the right thing. No, it wasn't you. It was God working in you. That's the thing. That's the opposite of the world esteems. Because the world esteems, oh yeah, you you worked and you oh you're smart, you made the right decision. Uh uh-uh. uh. They wouldn't think that was a good decision anyway to follow Christ. God's choice predates our very existence. And so our salvation has nothing to do with us. And notice there in Ephesians 1, 4, according as he has chosen us in him, that is Christ, before the foundation of the world, before the world was ever created, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. That's good news for us who believe. Why is that good news? Because it's okay if you're a nobody. God delights to use nobodies. You don't have to have thousands of Twitter followers, Facebook friends to be used mightily of God. The doctrine of election is not about boasting of ourselves, how great we are, what great Bible knowledge we might have, but rather it is to humble us to glorify God. To exalt him, to boast of him, to brag about him and what he has done. It's not like, well, yeah, I understand. I don't, I don't deserve uh, to be saved or anything like that or God's mercy, but I had enough good sense to make the right decision. Wait, no. God gave you enough good sense so you could make a right decision. You know, that's, it's all God, in other words, is what I'm trying to say. It's all him. He didn't give us good sense. He gave us faith so that we would believe. But notice it says in verse 30 of 1 Corinthians 1. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It's what, you know, some of the modern version says um, that he, that God is made for us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. I don't think that's what it means. Some commentators say that too. But the King James here is correct. 
unto. If you say you have become very dear to me instead of for me, it means something different. It's not primarily what Christ became for us, but to us. Because the context of the argument here is is in direct contrast to what the world thinks, you see. In 1 Corinthians one twenty three, it says, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. So Christ is become to us wisdom. Become to us power and sanctification and, and righteousness and redemption. Because of Christ, we don't see him as the world sees him anymore. As foolish and weak, but we see him as he really is, as the wisdom and power of God. And it's all out of his grace. So now, lastly, and I, I might have to cut this short, but in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, I'll just deal with two of the points probably, but consider your boasting. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, he that, that according as it is written there in Jeremiah 9, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Biblical boasting, beneficial boasting is when we boast in God alone. Psalms 34, 2 says, My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. They don't despise a message against pride and for humility and for the glory of God. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Paul says to the Romans in Romans 3.27, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay. But by the law of faith. Faith is a gift of God. It has nothing to do with us. There in Romans 4, 2. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. We're nothing but beggars. We are nothing. God is everything. This is an absolute rebuke to human he doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything or anyone. Well, someone would say, well, why would he use us if he don't need us? So that we can have the privilege of being used of him to bring him glory. That's why. Not because he needs us. As much as we can say, uh, some people, I, I was going to deal with biblically-based uh, boldness, some people think they have to boast to, to, to conjure up confidence in themselves to, to do something. 
They they get themselves all fired up and psyched up before a game or whatever. We're the greatest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all this. You don't need that. As a child of God, you don't need that. You have the confidence of Christ as greater and as, as more substance to than our mere dying, decaying man. We're talking about the ever-living God here. Even our infirmity. Paul says, I'd rather glory in my infirmities. What, what, I mean, here Paul is, he's, he, he wasn't somebody who was known to be some giant and strong man or some great intellectual of his age. He was nothing of that. And he, then on top of that, he had infirmities, problems physically. But he says, he asked the Lord to deliver him from these infirmities. But God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And so then what does Paul do? He doesn't say, oh man, I'm going to go off in a corner and have a pity party. No. He says, I'll glory in my infirmities. Because in and through these infirmities, out of weakness, we're strong. We have a greater impact. Here's somebody who is nothing in the eyes of the world, and yet he has joy, he has peace, he has confidence. But where does he get it? From God. It all points to him, our creator, who who made us who we are. It, It makes all kinds of sense. Let me close with Luke 18. Jesus spoke a parable. And it says in verse nine, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Or we could put in, we could fill in the blanks. They were strong. They were intelligent. They were blah, 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 whatever. And despised others. That's what usually when, when you when you think that you're so good, you will despise others. You look down on others who don't. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Now these were these publicans were tax collectors, they were wicked men. They would take what they what what really wasn't their due, and they would they would pocket the stuff that wasn't the taxes due. But because he had power, people gave it to him because he could falsely accuse them. And so they were rich sometimes, a lot of times. And so here we have this public and this sorry, no good person. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, not to God. He thought he was. He said, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and eat, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes into, unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this man, this public went down to his house justified 
rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The ultimate abasement is being cast into the lake of fire. Well, you will never escape and you will be humiliated for all eternity. Now, are you like this publican? Or are you like the Pharisee that think you don't need Jesus? Or you don't need to do what he says? It's a serious problem. May God help each one of us to learn to be humble and not exalt ourselves and let us glory in the Lord. What a great God he is. Thank you for your attention to the word of God.